So I'm going to spend the next three weeks, as we kind of look through the, the Gospel of John, we come today to a family that is actually mentioned probably more than any other family in the New Testament, uh, at least in the Gospels, and it's this family where it's two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, I was just reading today, uh, through the text that we're going to go through today, and I just wanted to spend a little bit looking at them because these stories that are told around there. They're like kind of where they're at, you know, whether it be a, a dinner that Martha's hosting or, or Lazarus that we're going to look at, especially next week, la- rising from the dead or whatever it is. These stories are so telling about Jesus. And so I didn't want to rush through it. Um, and so I'm gonna, we're going to start our time today actually in Luke chapter 10. Um, and Derek, I think a little while back, taught a little bit on this. And uh, I just need to touch on it because it kind of is the first introduction to Mary and Martha. Um, And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and 30, I think 38 through 42. All right, I'm going to read it. Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And so our story kicks off with this family. This is our first introduction to Mary and Martha. And we learn a few things right from the beginning of this text. The first thing we understand is that Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Uh, The fact that it was her home tells us that she was a a woman of means. Um, She could have been a widow. She could have been just successful, whatever the case is. It was her home. And we actually see her hosting several meals in uh, throughout the, the Gospels. And what we find about this woman is that almost every time she's mentioned, she is hosting people. Um, she is hosting, even the text we're going to look at a little bit today and next week, um, the people are at their house essentially as they're preparing a funeral for her brother. So we see that her bent, what she loves to do is, is host and care for people. And welcoming Jesus would have been very expensive as it would involve his disciples and everybody in his party, his whole entourage. I hate saying that word, but he, Jesus had a lot of people that rolled with him. And so they would have been taking care of all of that as well. It would have been very costly. And hospitality was something that we see throughout Martha's thing. And, and her desire as she's working, I know she kind of gets a bad rap in this text, but she, she was wanting to honor Jesus, right? Like she was wanting to honor this teacher, and maybe it was that she saw he was on a long journey and wanted to give him and his disciples an amazing meal, whatever the case was. She wanted to honor him. But in doing that, we find that she is distracted, it says, with much serving. That's what Jesus, that's what the text says, and then Jesus kind of follows up with that. And I just wanted to spend a little time talking about this text because it kind of sets the stage, especially next week as Jesus has interaction with Martha and Mary individually 
and we kind of see how it's different, the different personalities and, and all of these things. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Not that serving is wrong, but it's easy sometimes, I think, especially in, in a church environment and Christian environment or whatever it may be, for us sometimes to be distracted um, from enjoying the very one, essentially, that she invited, right? Jesus. She was distracted from the very purpose of service. Jesus was in her house. He wanted to spend time with her. And Jesus says to her that she's anxious and troubled about many things. And I get it. She wanted everything to be right. She wanted all the I's to be dotted, all the T's to be crossed. She wanted everything to be perfect. She wanted to be a blessing. She wanted it to be a, a, a space where guests can come in and feel welcomed and feel comfortable and feel cared for. And that's good. But in doing that, it distracted her from, from greater things, and that is it sitting at Jesus' feet. And part of the frustration she had is with her sister. Her sister was sitting there doing nothing in her mind. I'm out here working. I'm doing all this work so that this can happen. And you're sitting at Jesus' feet. And it, it welled up within her to the point where she says to Jesus, Jesus, my sister and I even do anything. Like, have her help me. And Jesus then responds with Martha, Martha, right? You're, you're troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen it. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's being refreshed by his words. She's enjoying his presence. She's listening to him. And Jesus says something very important here, because it's always good, especially you know, as, as Christ's community grows, and, and you might find your home here, and you might find your home elsewhere, and there's an idea of participating and serving. There's always stuff to do. But one thing I think that Jesus says here that is good for a reminder is that there's one thing that's necessary. There's a lot of things that play a part, but there's one thing at the end of the day that's necessary, and that is sitting at Jesus' feet. We can be serving our face off, but if we're not enjoying Jesus, we're missing the very reason we're serving our face off. And Paul, I mean, we see this concept throughout the New Testament. Paul prayed in Ephesus that he said, I pray that, you're, that you're, you may be fruitful in every good work. Which is interesting. That means we can be unfruitful in a good work. Right? Paul's prayer was like, you're doing a lot of good things, right? This church that was known by their first love that we see in Revelation, like, he said, I pray to be fruitful in every good work. And so it's a good reminder. And for us, I, I want to bring that up because I feel like, especially in the body of Christ, in my experience, the Marys and the Marthas are always at odds. These women were very different. They had different personalities, different temperaments. But the Marys and Martha, I mean, like all of us, right? Not just that, that there's this group, that someone's like, man, I just want to come and rest and just bask in the glory of Jesus. And the Marys are like, well, how do you think that's going to happen? I've got to set up this, we've got the sound to set up. Like, do something. We have these two sides. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm in the middle of it a lot. People that know me are laughing because they're like, you want us to sit at Jesus' feet? And I'm like, you want, and I'm working, and we're Martha, and we got this, and we got going on, but this is important. The, there's those, the Marthas are saying, why don't you do something? Don't just sit there. There's a lot of work to do. And the Mary's saying, why don't you just rest and enjoy Jesus? Like, just worship, man. Just, like, rest. Here's the reality. Both offer values and gifts and temperaments, and both are valuable. We need both. The good portion, though, the good portion 
is that amongst all the stuff that we're doing is that we need to find time to be with Jesus. We need to sit at his feet. We need to hear from him. Jesus needs to be seen and proclaimed and lifted up and honored. And here's the reality, Marys. Martha's make a lot of this possible. But Martha's, if we're not enjoying Jesus, then what's the point of any of this? We come from a culture that tells everybody to do more, work harder, earn it. And it's very easy for us in the church to become no different. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're appreciating each other and we're understanding that, man, like there's value in that. There's value in this service. And that we all, at the end of the day, are making sure that no matter what we're doing, how busy we are, we're coming in and we're sitting at Jesus' feet. We're able to listen and enjoy and worship and respond to his goodness and to his love. And we're going to look at Mary's response to Jesus in, th- in two weeks because her way of honoring and loving Jesus is very different than, than Mar- Martha's. And so we can find that we can appreciate one another, and we're not all going to function the same way. I think I look at it a lot of times like marriage, right? If you think you're getting married, you're married, and you're like, oh, this person, we're just like so similar. We're like the same person. Like, I can't believe it. And then you're married for any amount of time, you're like, oh my gosh, couldn't be any differenter. Like, I don't even know if differenter is a word, but like, we're like, but what happens is you start, the longer you're married, you start appreciating this person. Like, man, our differences actually, actually complement us, even though this, there's not a person in this world that drives me more crazy, right? But yet, I can't live without, right? So like, there's this aspect where the body of Christ is similar in that way. So with that, as we are introduced to Mary and Martha, let's jump into John chapter 10. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, 10, I'm going to end 10, but mainly we're going to be in 11 for a little while. We're not going to look at Jesus rising Lazarus from the dead quite this week. We're going to look at that next week, but I'm going to introduce the text a little bit and get into some stuff that we kind of need to cover because this, just a precursor, this is, there's some hard things, okay, that we're going to look at today. And there's sometimes, there's, we don't always have answers. Um, so just, just know that, especially next two weeks, because we're looking at the idea of mourning and hurt and pain. And that is sometimes so hard to reconcile when it comes to the American Christianity, where it says, you know, you just love God, everything's going to work out. If you just believe God, then you'll be blessed. And if there's suffering or pain in your life, then maybe there's something you're doing wrong. Maybe you're not believing hard enough. Maybe you're not trusting God. Maybe you've got sin in your life. Like, whatever the case is, now, sometimes there's consequences, and I get that. But the American Christianity that I hear so often is the idea that, that if you believe God and trust God, everything's going to be awesome. And it's like the, just this the Lego song singing in the background, like, everything is awesome, right? It's like, just, it's not, man. Like, life is hard, and there's sometimes things happen. But, like, hopefully what we're going to see today is that God isn't absent from that, and God's love doesn't change, and God's at work, and we may not see it. And sometimes it's just hard. And that's okay. It doesn't make God any less God. So John chapter 10, verse 20, or actually verse, uh, verse 40. So he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did, not, did no sign, but everything that John said about the man was true, and many believed him there. And then verse 11, 1. And now a certain man was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village that Mary and her sister of uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent out to him and said, 
Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We'll stop right there. So, we pick up on our story. Jesus goes across the Jordan. He's probably where John the Baptist was baptizing. Jesus is about 20 miles from where Mary and Martha live, and that's Bethany. Now, Bethany is a city, a little town, more like a village, that if, if you were to look at a map of Jerusalem, you'd go through a valley, you'd have the, the Mount of Olives, and this is where Jesus prayed that night right before his crucifixion. The Mount of Olives, if you looked out, you would see Jerusalem, you'd see the temple, right? Now, on the other side of that little Mount of Olives is this little village of Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. It's kind of the suburbs. Two miles was, not, was pretty far back then. You wouldn't just go into Jerusalem willy-nilly. So that, that's where they were located at. And we see that they send a message to Jesus saying, Lazarus, the one you love, is ill. The one whom you love is sick. And Jesus' response is that this illness is for the glory of God. It doesn't lead to death which we actually know, that many of us know this story, we know that he actually did die. What Jesus was talking about, it's not permanent, right? It's not, it's not spiritual death. He, he's, he's talking about bigger terms, and we're going to look a lot more of that next week, but very practically, we see that just right on the surface, let's just look at this. The one that you love is sick, okay? The whole thing that's communicated so often, like I talked about, this idea that if God loves you, everything's going to be awesome. Like, in this very text alone, we're starting to see this idea that people that love God and the people that God loves, like, we experience pain. We experience suffering, and sometimes it doesn't end like our story ends. Jesus' response also seems really harsh. Like, this is happening so that God might be glorified. Like, God is allowing this to happen, but God is, like, actually doing this thing so that God could be glorified to a greater degree. That's hard, I think, sometimes to hear. Because I think if you were like me, you'd be like, well, why, why me? Like, why do you, I'm the one that you want to show your glory in. This, this is painful. And what's interesting is this is the second time in like a few weeks, a few chapters that this comes up. Because if you remember the man born blind, the disciples asked and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, no. Didn't even answer their question. He said, no, but that the glory of God might be revealed. So we have to settle into the truth that sometimes God uses pain and suffering in our lives to bring himself glory, and sometimes it just is a, it's hard, and there's no way to get around it. And I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize it and be like, well, everything's going to work out for the good, and it's true, and everything, but like it doesn't change the pain in the middle of it. Like the Martha and Mary were still suffering. And, and Lazarus was dying. In fact, when they got this message, Lazarus, Lazarus was already dead. Okay, they sent it. It took about two days, 20 miles, about 10 miles a day. It took two days to get there. So by the time the message got to Jesus, Jesus already knew that even if he left, it wouldn't have mattered. So he stayed because Lazarus had already died. So it's a hard saying. But we're going to see how Jesus responds to this, and I hopefully it brings you comfort. Verse 5, chapter 11. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. So when they heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place that, uh, where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews just want, uh, were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of, his wor- of the world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I must go wake him up. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was at rest sleeping. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we might die with him. So dramatic, Thomas. He is so dramatic, right? Like Jesus dies and rises, he's like, I won't believe unless I stick my fingers in his like, wrist and his side. Like Thomas is drama, man. But um, I love how we see personality come out of Scripture. The very first thing there, which is so interesting, I love how John inserts this into this text, right? So, Picture this. They get a message. Hey, Lazarus is really sick. Can you come and heal him? And Jesus is like, listen, it's not, it's not unto death, even though he died. He's talking about spiritual things, right? And then John in verse 5 goes, now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, right? He goes, I got to get this out of the way. Jesus loved them because the very next thing is, so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days. Right? Seriously. He... I want to let you know that Jesus, like he loves these people, but he didn't leave. He didn't stop his death. He didn't heal him. He stayed two more days. It's important for us to touch on that because John is wanting us to know that this is intentional, that Jesus loves them, that what he was doing was out of love, which is crazy, but we also have to recognize that Jesus didn't leave and help him. He didn't heal him. He could have healed him from two, he could have healed him from there. He didn't have to physically go. But he let Lazarus suffer and eventually die. Now, Jesus and the disciples were discussing about going to uh, Judea, and obviously they're trying to say that he's going to kill him. And Jesus says, you know, we've got to walk in the day. He's like, this is the time we have to do it. I'm the light of the world. I'm here. I got to do this thing because eventually I'm not going to be here. Like, I got to show you something. Like, Jesus' plan was to show him something so greater to the point where he said, I'm glad that I'm not there so I can show you something. Jesus' healing people have become so common, I think, to the disciples that it was just another thing. And Jesus knew that what he was going to do and it was important. Now, the reason why Jesus stayed two more days, we're going to find out next week, is that when, La- when he got there, Lazarus was dead for four days. Now, in Jewish superstition, they believed that after a person died, the spirit remained around the body for about three days before it finally left, just in case something happened. And so many scholars say that Jesus wanted Jesus, knowing that Lazarus was already dead when he got the message, wanted to stay two more days, or he was about to die. Basically, right when the message got there, he was about to die. 
He wanted to stay two more days, and it was a two-day journey because he wanted to make sure everybody knew Lazarus is like dead, dead. Like, it wasn't like he was a possibility that he could have, you know, been just died. Like, it's been four days, the spirit is left, he's dead. And so then Thomas goes, let's go die with him. But let's look at this idea of the fact that Jesus loved them and yet at the same time allowed them to suffer. If you've been here at any portion of time, I always reference back to God's original design. When it comes to pain and death and suffering and sickness and hurting and all of these things, God's original intention for the world is he made it perfect. He made it right. He made it holy. He made it in a radical different way, and human beings were a part of that, and God would walk with humans in the garden. We had unbroken relationship. We had unbroken fellowship with God. The world was right. Everything was right, and then sin entered it and broke it. And in came death, and in came suffering, and in came pain and distortion and and all the wickedness that follows. And every one of us have been touched by that in one way or the other, and some more than others. And I think that it's fair for us to at least recognize there's times when you call out to God, and he seems like there's no answer. When you're in the middle of pain, and God doesn't stop it, and he doesn't heal it. Or maybe there's a delay, where the cry of our heart is, where are you? I've done this for you. I've followed you my whole life. I've done all of these different things. And I am suffering right now, or this person I love is suffering right now. Where are you? I think it's fair for us to touch on this. It reminds me of what we looked at a few weeks ago, or maybe almost a couple months ago. If you remember the disciples, they were... After the feeding of the 5,000, they got into the boat and they were rowing and a storm came and it says that the wind was against them and they rowed for three or four miles after a a period of six to nine hours. And it says that, actually nine to 12 hours, and Jesus says that was on the mountain, he was looking at them, he was watching them struggle and he waited hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. And for some reason, he didn't go and help them. He didn't go and save them. And he didn't go and rest them until like half of a day later. And then he goes walking on the water. You may know the rest of the story. He he rescues them. Peter jumps out of the boat, tries to walk. He pulls them out, puts them in, and then he calms the storm. Why did he delay? I don't know. Why does sometimes God feel like he doesn't hear you? I don't know. I know he does. It doesn't make it any less easy. Or maybe your prayer, like we know how this story ends, many of us, right? Lazarus, Jesus raises him from the dead. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes suffering happens and people we love care and care for, they, they die. And I know that sometimes our response as, as followers of Jesus is like, it's all going to work out. Everything's going to be great. All things work together for the good for those that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. It's true. It's not always helpful, though. Right? We will believe deeper. Jesus' response to Martha is he will rise again. Like, the reality is this your circumstances might not change, 
But the purpose of, I think, our text today is to see that God's love doesn't. I mean, even next week, we see Jesus weep, right? He weeps because he sees the pain and the brokenness. He sees it. Here's something cool. They send the message to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. The word they use there for love is the word phileo. Phileo is a Greek word. In our English, we kind of miss out because we don't have all these words for, that we use love for everything. Right? I love pizza. I love my wife. I love my dog, right? Like, we love it. I love it. We love it all. The word phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia, right? Phileo is brotherly love, right? It's, it's a love. It's an affection. Um, it's a care. It's a fondness. It's a friendship. It's, it's, it's a love. It, it's, it's a deep love, but it's not, it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's just, it's, is what it is, right? Where we get brotherly love from. But what's beautiful about this text is Jesus, his response when John in verse 5 says, and Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, the word that he used there was agape. Agape. Agape is a love that is deeper than we can imagine. It's a never-ending, it's a one-way love. It's an unconditional love. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which I highly recommend, especially for little kids, defines agape love this way, which is one of my favorites. It's a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That's agape love. And so they sent a message and said, Jesus, the one whom you have phileo is ill. And it says that Jesus goes, John wants us to know that, no, but Jesus agaped, Jesus agaped them. He agaped them. Here's the reality. They knew that Jesus loved them, but they didn't know how much Jesus loved them. They knew Jesus phileoed them, but they had no idea that he agaped them. They knew that Jesus was fond of them, but they had no idea how much Jesus loved them. I want you to know, and I, we need to be reminded, that you are loved by God. Okay? You are loved by God deeply. You are loved by God with a never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. A love that, if I asked any one of us in this room, we all want. Who doesn't want to be loved unconditionally? Who doesn't want a love that will never end? Who doesn't want a love that, will be, that we can break? We can't stop the love. It's one way. It's his love for you. And regardless of your circumstance... Regardless of the pain in the situation, it's not because he doesn't love you. And it, you may never know the reason. You may never know why. There may never be this magnificent thing in the sky of like, oh, that is why God did this. We may not see that on this side of heaven. But one thing we do know is that you are loved by the Father deeply. Deeply. And John wanted us to know that when he was writing this. And I want you to know that. Because at the end of the day, 
Sometimes our situation doesn't seem that way. And sometimes in our pain, in our suffering, when God seems silent, we question it. Question it. Sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we blame God. But even in that, his love doesn't change. For my whole, as a parent, one thing I'd always tell my kids, there's nothing you will ever do for me to stop loving you. And our Father, who's beyond better than any of us, has the same thing for you. There's nothing you could do for him to ever stop loving you. Reminds me of a story, my own personal life. This is not a, I have nothing, nothing compares to what many of you have gone through, and I know that, but when my daughter Lily was born, she was born with a cleft lip and palate. And what that meant is she had to have surgeries. Okay, one at four months when she was 10 pounds. Yeah, she was only 10 pounds at four months. But another one when she was one year old. And the one at one year old was pretty extensive. That's when they actually put her palate back together in her mouth. And we were at Shriners Hospital in Portland, and I remember the doctor's like, well, you got to keep her inclined because there's drainage and all of this stuff. And so I did. I kept her inclined all night long because she couldn't lay down, and she was in so much pain, like so much pain. She didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. She was crying. And I remember that. I, I prayed. I, I don't like crying on this, but I prayed. I said, God, if you can just take the pain, let me take it. Let me take the pain, right? Like, let me take it. So she just can sleep. Like, I, I'll take it. I'm fine with it. And what's cool is that our Father in Heaven says to me in a really clear way that I've very rarely ever had. He says, son, I had the power to take the pain away from my son. But I didn't so that you could be with me. And it was in that moment that I realized that our God is not absent from our situation. In fact, he knows what we've gone through. He's suffered. And he had the power. I am a terrible God. If my kid was on the cross, I'd have been like, end it now. And I'll wipe all y'all out. But he didn't. He let his kid suffer, be beaten, mocked, and die so that we could be forgiven. Jesus knows suffering. He knows it. And his love for you doesn't change if you're in the middle of it. He knows it. He agapes you. He agapes you. Get mad at him. That's fine. It doesn't change. Wrestle with him. Fine. Doesn't change. He loves you. And I think that is what this text has for us today because next week we're going to look at death. We're going to look at Jesus talking about the resurrection. That's all good news. Lazarus is going to raise from the dead. We don't want to just rush to the happy ending because sometimes there's not a happy ending. At least on this side of heaven. But wherever you're at, God loves you. Jesus weeps with us. God is present in your pain and suffering. He is not absent. He can relate. He can relate. So let's respond with music and worship.